The word tells us that in the beginning, God created heaven. Yeah. Heaven's been there a long time, hasn't it? Yeah. And the way to heaven is just the same today. Right. And if we get to heaven, we're going to go to heaven by the way that Jesus has made yeah. for us to go. Right. I'm thankful tonight, as everyone is, to be in camp meeting. Yeah. I'm glad to be converted and sanctified. Right. I'm very much in debt to you people. You have raised me. You've corrected me. You have done many wonderful things for me. And I feel very much in your debt tonight. As we stood out there today and the picture was made, the picture of the 1939 picture came in my mind. And I remember how they set, put me down on my knees in front of the crowd. I was about five or six years old in 1939. And I feel like tonight I'm on my knees in front of the crowd. That's the Lord. We're here tonight, brothers and sisters, in the presence of Almighty God. Yes, we are. And every one of us have needs. Every one of us has a need of a touch and a blessing and a filling and a working of the Holy Spirit in our life. We may have come to the Lord many years ago and got our sins forgiven and got sanctified, but we've got to have God's power tonight. Yes, we have. He's got to be reigning in our heart tonight in order for us to have the victory in our souls that He wants us to have. Many friends have gone before me and they've laid their armor down. With the prophets and disciples, they obtained the robe and crown. On this road, they fought their battles, shouting victory day by day. I expect to overcome and join them in the good old-fashioned way. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. I want everyone to feel welcome. I see some visitors here tonight that might not have been in our midst before. We want you to know that you're welcome in the house of God. Our forefathers had a vision of building a place where sanctified people, their children, and their friends, and anyone that wanted to come in and hear the Word of God. Everyone is welcome on this campground. Tonight we're serving a God that is able to do things that you and I can't do. That's right. He's got power that goes far beyond the resources that are our command. He is able, through the power of prayer, to take a word from a heart in this congregation, transport it 300, 400, 500 miles instantaneously, and deliver it to the heart of some boy or girl or friend of neighbor that's lost tonight. Our God's able to do that. We have examples of God doing that in the Word of God. I'd like to start reading in the 93rd Psalms tonight, only five verses. I don't know that I've ever heard it read in church. But it says, The Lord reigned. The Lord reigned. He's on the throne tonight. He's in control of things. Don't anybody get nervous. Don't get anybody get excited. The Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength. Here, wherewith he girdeth himself. The world also is established, and it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old, O Lord. 
Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up. O oh Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods have lifted up their waves. Sometimes the water rises and it gets tempestuous. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. We've got a God that's over all the noise, over all the waters. When the mighty ways of the sea, thy testimonies are very sure. Here's what I want to get to. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. Holiness becometh thy house, O Lord, forever. Forever. I'd like to talk a little bit about holiness today. God said to Abraham, walk thou before me and be thou holy. He said, I am the Lord thy God. Walk thou before me and be thou holy. God has been calling for holiness from the very beginning until now. God hasn't changed his idea about holiness. Camp meeting is a wonderful home. It's like homecoming. But this is a holiness house that the Lord has given us. And holiness becometh thy house, O Lord. I've talked with someone in our congregation this camp meeting who says they don't feel like they have felt the call of the Lord. That they believe this doctrine They believe sanctified people are right, but they don't feel like they have heard the call of the Lord for them. And that has been on my mind, and I've been thinking of how so many instances of where God has made it plain and evident that he's sending out the call. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, let him open the door, and I will come in and suck with him and he with me. I and the Father will come and take up our abode and abide with you forever. Faithful is he that hath called you who also will do it. I believe that that call is going out. It's just going out all the time. And Jesus came along and he said, Well, hath the prophet Isaiah said, Ears to hear they have and hear not. We need to tune our ear to the call of God. The call is going out very clearly. We talked a number of years ago, and I've seen it again, How that in all of nature, God guides the animals of the world. He guides the fish of the sea. I don't understand how he does it. But the salmon that are born up into the headwaters of those mighty rivers go down into the ocean. And after a number of years, they come back to the very place they were born. Some homing instinct is put into the fish of the sea that brings them back to the place of their birth. The birds of the air, the geese that are native to Canada, somebody tells them the long cold night of winter is coming and they leave that northern climate and they head down to Chincoteague and down to Louisiana to those places for the winter. In our garden at home, we've got a hummingbird feeder and we've enjoyed watching those small little creatures who are native to South America and Central America, who come all the way up to the Carolinas in the warm of the summertime to feed at our garden. We've watched them and seen their distinctive markings 
and some that were there last year, earlier this year. We were sitting on our patio before we had ever put our feeders up. One of those birds that looked just like the one that was there last year came right to the very nail where our feeder hung the previous year and stood right there looking for food. Can you believe that God could guide a little animal like that yeah. from so long a distance and bring them back to the very place where they fed the year before yeah. without a map, without a compass, instinct God has put in there. Yeah. Right. I, you ask me, who put it there? God did. God did. Right. Nobody else could do that. Right. And I believe that the God that put those kind of things in the fish of the sea, the animals of the world, and the fowls that fly in the air put something in the soul of man yeah. that brings them back to God. Yeah. Something that draws them back yeah. to the spirit and power of God. Yeah. I believe that that drawing is going on all the time. That God is trying to bring you back to Him. And I believe tonight that though there may be those that are far away from this place, God can speak to them wherever they are tonight. Mothers and fathers that have raised your children up in the church, if you've got a one that's away from the Lord tonight and your heart is burdened and you're troubled, let me tell you, our God is able to go right yes, there. God is able to touch hearts. Yeah. He's able to bring them home. And I believe that our God will yes, do that yes, very thing. He's able to minister to people in their time of need. I remember one of the young men that was raised in our church went away from it, didn't want to have anything to do with it, joined the service before World War II. And in the midst of the service, he was injured and put into a hospital. And not many days after he was laying there, they brought in a very wounded man from the battlefield and put him in the bed next to him. And the wounded man said to him, Buddy, do you know anything about religion? Can you tell me how to find God? And he said, no, I don't know anything about religion. There'll be a chaplain through here in a, tomorrow, the next day, and you can ask him. And that young boy that was raised in our church said, heard the man say, I might not be here tomorrow. Yeah. It might be too late yeah. when the formal preacher comes along. Yeah. And after a long silence, he began to think, while he didn't have much time for God and much time for religion, God began to bring back to his memory some of the things that he had learned in Sunday school when he was a little boy. And he told the dying man in the bed next to him, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And he said the man died before the night was over. He hoped that he made it home to heaven. What brought that to that boy's mind that was far away from home? It was the power of God. It was the power of God. The Lord is able to touch our children. He's able to reach out. I thank the Lord for his saving and keeping power. That his arm is not short that he cannot save, and neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. I wanted to read a little bit of scripture tonight that really zeroes in on the essence of the doctrine of our church. Someone pointed out to me a study that's been made recently about holiness 
in America. And they are re-looking at what the holiness movement is all about and what it believes in. Yes. And I was particularly interested in what the holiness movement believed about sanctification. I think we're most all familiar with the definition of sanctification. There's kind of an Old Testament uh, definition that talks about things and places and instruments and vessels right. and yeah. priests and people being sanctified, set apart for the That's service right. of God. Then we know about the New Testament definition of sanctification, yeah. where wherefore Jesus also, right. that he That's might more. sanctify the people right. with That's his own more. blood, yeah. suffered without yeah. the gate. Yeah. Paul, writing in the book of Romans, spoke of the Gentiles, those that were not Jews by birth or by nature, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So we're familiar with those definitions, I think. But the thing that was so astounding to me as I read about another definition of sanctification that I never had really understood to be true. So I looked in the Bible, I found out it wasn't true. This other definition of sanctification is characterized by the word suppression. That the Holy Spirit comes into a person's heart and suppresses the devil. Pushes him back into the corner, back into the dark recesses of your heart, and the Holy Spirit reigns in the center of your life, and the devil has control of the fringes and parts of your life. And that doctrine is very popular in the world today. It's called sanctification, but it's got the devil suppressed. The other doctrine of sanctification is called eradication, in which when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, it eradicates the sinful nature and sinful principle, and the devil is taken out of your life. But you know, there are far more many people today that believe in the suppression doctrine than there is that believe in the eradication doctrine. The reason they do is it's very convenient. It explains why you sin sometime when you're doing good most of the time. It makes allowance for flying off the handle. It makes allowance for getting mad when things don't go your way. It makes allowance for taking off and doing a few things that sanctified people don't believe in doing. And you just want to do it a little bit and you'll come back and serve the Lord the rest of the time. It's a very convenient doctrine. It's a very popular doctrine. I don't know where they get it from out of the Word of God, but I know where they don't get it from out of the Word of God. And reading in the 6th chapter of Romans, knowing this, that our old man, that sinful nature, that carnality, the devil, that old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. They can't deal with that verse. The people that talk about just suppressing the devil. I remember uh, our folks preaching about him years ago, saying if you don't get rid of the old man, he's going to show himself. The cover is too short. If you pull it up over his head, his feet will stick out. You cover up his feet and his head will stick out. You cannot suppress the devil and keep him hid. 
For he that is dead is free from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing this, that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. Now, once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourself. That sounds like it's getting down personal. That sounds like it's getting down to me. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto a sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. The Lord omnipotent reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. The parts of your body don't real yield those as members, members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God. This is such a positive gospel. It's not a negative gospel. Oh, right. Getting rid of the devil is not a negative act. That's a positive act. But then when he is taken out, then you're in a position to yield yourself to God. As those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I'd hate to be pleading for suppression of the devil in this chapter, yeah. wouldn't you? I just don't believe it'll work here, do you? I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. Yeah. Holiness becometh thy house, O Lord. For when ye were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Whenever we were in sin, and the motions of sin worked in our flesh, every good thing we did couldn't even go to our record in heaven. And while we are walking without sin, then the record can take the good things that we do. What fruit had ye then and those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But, but now, being made free from sin and become the servants of God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end 
everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank the Lord for our people that told us the truth. That's right. That told us how we had to clean up our life. Yes. And get rid of the sinful nature out of our life. I suppose that if the preachers had told me the best I could do was seek for the Lord and continue on in sin, I don't believe that was about the best I could do. And there's millions out there in the world tonight that thinks that's the best thing they can do. And they're in bondage, they're in slavery to the fact that they don't know there is deliverance from sin. Here's another chapter I don't think they can get the suppression doctrine out of either. Behold what manner of love yeah. the Father hath bestowed upon us yeah. that we should be called the sons of God. Yeah. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Yeah. But we know that when He shall appear, yeah. we yeah. shall be like Him, for we shall see Him yeah. as He is. Right. I believe He's a holy, sinless God tonight. I don't think our God no. is a sinner. No. And we shall see Him like He is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is a transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. I'm glad that I ever found out that I could get rid of the devil out of my life. Now, where is the devil? Whenever you've got him outside of your life and you've got the Holy Spirit in your life, he's on the outside. Yeah. That's where he is. He will come around. He will offer temptations. He will try to deceive you. But we have got a secret for getting rid of the devil. Yeah. Sister Moore told us about it last night. Yeah. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And I don't think Satan was dwelling in Jesus' heart. Do you think he was? No. He did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Brothers and sisters, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Probably the most famous person historically that preached and taught and wrote the doctrine of a ratification of the carnal nature was John Wesley. There's abundant evidence that that man taught and preached that doctrine. Yeah. I've also read that in the Episcopal Methodist Church of America in the year of 1883 at the Gen Genoese Conference in the state of New York, the Episcopal Church of Methodist Episcopal Church in America 
rewrote their constitution and bylaws and changed the principle of eradication back to suppression to make allowance for the many people that said they couldn't help but live in sin in the Methodist church at that time. That was a sad day. I've talked to quite a few Methodists who uh, new churches were formed about that time out of the Methodist church because of that change. And ere the light went out or the truth went out, I believe that God took a coal off of the altar of heaven and touched down and touched some of your forefathers and some of my forefathers and called them to come out preaching the doctrine that separates people from sin. And that doctrine is alive and working today. It works today in 1986. Seeing that these things are true and that there is deliverance from sin, it makes us want to help everybody that's in the bondage of sin get set free. It makes us want to help them spring the trap and get out of the bondage of sin. And often think, what will it take to bring people that are lost to God? What will God have to do to cause you that are waiting to make the decision to serve the Lord with all your heart? If we turn over into the scriptures, we see so many places where God worked right at the point of calamity and disaster to save people from destruction. If it hadn't been for the prayer of that Uncle Abraham, I don't believe Lot and his two daughters would have ever got out of Sodom. They were there, and they were deceived, and they were entrapped. But it says, when the morning arose, the angel hastened Lot. It's time to hasten. It's time to get on the move. Saying, arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, while he lingered, I think of that song, Precious Souls, Linger not, linger not on the storm-covered plain. And while he lingered, the angels laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto them. And they brought them forth and set them without the city. And in spite of all that, Lot's wife looked back, looked back, and turn to a pillow of salt. Oh, let's don't look back. Over in the book of Joshua, when the city of Jericho stood up there as a mighty fortress before the people of God, Joshua sent out some spies over there to check out the land. And he sent some into the city of Jericho. And they went into Rahab's house. And uh, she hid them. up on the roof and she said unto the men I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon all of us and that all the inhabitants of the land fainted because of you for we have heard how the Lord has dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of the land of Egypt what he did to all those kings and as soon as we heard these things our hearts did melt within us, yes. neither 
neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. And she said unto them, Remember my house. Remember my house. When you come back through here, remember my house. Let me tell you, when you ask the Lord to remember you, God is going to remember you. Whenever they came up to Jericho, did God keep his promise to Rahab's house? Yes, he kept his promise. The Lord will keep his promise. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. It don't matter how far you've gone away. Embrace the promise of God tonight. Hang out the scarlet card for your wonder. Say, Lord, when you come by this place, I want you to spare me. You know, God is able to work in every house. There is represented in this building tonight. There's some fathers in this house that need to be sanctified. There's some mothers in this house that need to be sanctified. God can work with your children. God may use your children to bring you back to Him. What will it take to bring you to God? What will God have to do? We're all familiar with the story of Eli, the priest. He was supposed to know things about God, but you know Eli hadn't heard from God in years. There was no open vision, it tells you, in the first part of that chapter. God wasn't even talking to Eli. Why wasn't God talking to Eli? Eli had done that which was abominable in the sight of God. He had failed to restrain his sons and his daughters. His sons were doing things that were ungodly. And he was not restraining them. And God cut off his communication with him. But God started talking to a little old boy. To a little old boy in the temple. Three times God called Samuel. Does God call? Yes, he calls. Three times God called Samuel. And Samuel thought it was Eli talking. And Eli told him to go back. And finally Eli realized that God was talking to that little boy in his house. And after the Lord did reveal himself to to Samuel, Eli wanted to know what the Lord had said. He inquired of Samuel what the Lord had said. Fathers and mothers that are not living before your little children like you should, yeah. your little children might can tell you something. Yeah. That's, right. Right. That's right. So many places here where God worked with people. The last one I'd like to talk about tonight is found in the 33rd chapter of the book of Chronicles. We're all pretty well familiar with Hezekiah, the man that turned his face to the wall and the Lord spared his life 15 years and probably he had taught his sons in the right way but Manasseh the son of uh, Hezekiah when he began to reign on the throne of Hezekiah he was 12 years old and he began to reign and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem but he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord like unto the abominations of the heathens. And what he did was he built again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down, and he reared up the altars to Balaam, but he also built the altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name ever be. 
Now he thought he would satisfy everybody. Yeah. He thought he would please everybody. Yeah. He would keep the high altar in Jerusalem and he would build all those other altars to all those other gods. Yeah. But our God is a jealous God. Yeah. He is one God. Yeah. And he says, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God yeah. and him only oh shall thou serve. God was displeased yeah. with worshiping uh, anything other yes, than was. the one God. Yeah. And so the Lord sent, allowed the armies of Assyria to come and take this king, carried him away to Babylon captive, and there he was afflicted and in bondage and in prison. What will it take to bring you to the Lord? And the Lord spake unto Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. And then they were carried away to Babylon, and when he was in affliction... He besought the Lord his God, and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and he prayed unto him. Let me tell you, whenever you're in affliction, whenever you're in bondage, don't think there's no hope. God is still there. He is still able. This man got carried away over there in Babylon, but in prison and in sickness and in affliction, he prayed unto the Lord, and he was entreated of him. And the Lord heard his supplication, and the Lord brought him again to Jerusalem. Our God is able to bring you, our sons from afar, our daughters from the end of the earth. Though they may be in affliction, though they may be far away, whenever they turn to God, he will bring them back to Jerusalem. I'm so glad that our God has that kind of power tonight. What will it take to bring you to God. Don't let it get to the place that you're in affliction, that you're so far away that you can't enjoy the good presence of God. But I'd like to entreat you tonight, while the living fountain is so nearby, while the waters are flowing, while the Spirit is here, come on into the kingdom. Join in the good time that's going on in the house of the God. Don't sneak down to despair and affliction before you turn to the Lord. Turn to Him with all your heart tonight. He will forgive you of your sins and He will take every bit of that carnal nature and that desire for sin out of your life and give you His sweet Holy Spirit to go with you and guide and direct you and bless you and give you peace and joy and all the good things that sanctified people have. While we sing this song of invitation, if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't have the Lord and wants to have him, tune your ear to him now. Listen to his knock. Wait for his call. Faithful is he that has called you who also will do it. When God calls you to sanctification, he will sanctify you. He will give you the blessing. While we all stand, anyone that feels the need of the Lord, come up forward.